Hello everyone. Hope you're all having a good day so far. Can you believe it's already almost the end of the second month of the year? I know we've had some hiccups in vaccine rollouts with supply issues and blizzards and ice storms across the country, but let's keep our spirits up and continue masking up, washing up, and staying physically distant. In the meantime, I know we'll all get our chance to get vaccinated soon. So, welcome to my eighth episode of season two. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. My name is Sanal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, are you looking for my compliance tips on annual wellness visits and initial preventive physical exams? Well, look no more. I dive into it in this episode. And I also discuss my most favorite month of February's OIG criminal and civil enforcement cases involving fraud, waste, and abuse. And I also share some inspirational words from Michael Jordan. If you've checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. Please write in a review and five-star rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. Now, a quick disclaimer. Before I get started on this episode, this podcast episode and Next in Pruitt podcast series do not constitute legal advice, but I am fortunate to work with sound healthcare attorneys at Next in Pruitt. And as their consultant, I have over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding, and billing for multi-specialty physicians, compliance, and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. Again, the opinions and insights throughout are mine alone, and they in no means constitute legal advice. So let's get into newsworthy. The month of February saw 22 cases of fraud, waste, and abuse as of the recording of this episode. Early February saw so many of the usual suspects, like illegal distribution of opioids. There was also a lab case that allegedly violated the Federal and State False Claims Act by submitting or causing to be submitted claims to Medicaid for medically unnecessary presumptive or screening drug tests, as well as definitive or confirmatory drug tests for their residents weekly. In many cases, this lab allegedly ordered duplicative tests for their residents more than two times a week, often up to three, four, or even five times a week. Compounding pharmacy is still in the news, too, because there were federal criminal charges filed from an alleged scheme in which millions of dollars in reimbursements for compounded drugs were generated through the payment of illegal kickbacks for patient referrals and by fraudulently paying patients co-payments. And of course, how can we close out the month without a case involving kickbacks and bribes in exchange for referrals of patient DNA samples and genetic tests sent to a laboratory? 
The case also allegedly involved sham contracts, a crooked billing company, and a devious consulting company. But I'd like to highlight two cases that I find most interesting, and I want to dive in deeper. First, this case involves the first person in the nation, a woman, who's been charged with misappropriating monies designed for COVID-19 medical provider relief. She was indicted on allegations that she intentionally misappropriated government funds that were designed to aid medical providers in the treatment of patients suffering from COVID-19, and she used them for her own personal expenses. She was charged by indictment with embezzlement of government property. This indictment includes the first criminal charges, the very first criminal charges for the intentional misuse of funds intended to provide relief to healthcare providers and maintain the access to medical care during the pandemic. It's money set aside to help Americans get needed medical care in the health and economic crisis we're facing. The indictment alleges that she previously owned a home health agency in HHA, which she had closed. She closed her doors in early 2020 after Medicare issued an overpayment demand for over $1 million because her HHA had submitted claims for patients who did not qualify for home health services. And according to the indictment, the HHA, which remember was never operational during the pandemic, its doors were closed. The HHA received approximately $40,000 designated for medical treatment and care of COVID-19 patients. She then allegedly misappropriated those funds by issuing checks to her family members for their personal use. Let's not forget the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, the CARES Act, is a federal law enacted on March 29, 2020. It's designed to provide emergency financial assistance to millions of Americans who are suffering the economic effects resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. One source of relief provided by the CARES Act is the Provider Relief Fund, the PRF, where the monies are provided to medical providers, which must be used for the medical provider's coronavirus response. Of course, let's keep in mind, an indictment is merely an allegation, and all defendants are presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. Now, the second case I'm highlighting here also involves a COVID-19 fraud scheme. Here, a state lawmaker, also a female healthcare professional, was indicted for stem cell fraud schemes. The U.S. attorney on the case states, quote, the indictment alleges she lied to her patients and she lied to federal agents. As an elected official and a healthcare provider, she deserves to be held to a high standard. This grand jury indictment exposes her deception and holds her accountable for her actions, end quote. This investigation began as a result of false or misleading statements made by the state lawmaker in April 2020 to a local TV station regarding her potential use of stem cells to treat COVID-19. Now, it's important to note here, she is not a physician. She is not a physician, but she is 
a licensed assistant physician and operates three medical clinic locations. The U.S. attorney again emphasized, quote, she used her position for personal gain and damaged the public's trust, end quote. Now, specifics in the case disclose she allegedly administered amniotic fluid, which she falsely claimed contained stem cells to patients who suffered from, among other things, tissue damage, kidney disease, COPD, Lyme disease, erectile dysfunction, and urinary incontinence. And in an April 2020 Facebook post of hers, she wrote that amniotic fluid allographs, quote, this amazing treatment stands to provide a potential cure for COVID-19 patients that is safe and natural, she ended her quote. Now, also under the Controlled Substances Act, the federal indictment also charged her for distributing Schedule II controlled substances without a valid prescription. None of the assistant physicians employed by her could prescribe these drugs, so they followed their internal standards of practice and protocols and asked her to prescribe to their patients, allegedly without conducting an in-person medical evaluation for those patients. And she then wrote, electronic prescriptions for those patients and transmitted the prescriptions over the internet to pharmacies. Most intriguing to me here is that again, remember she is not a physician, but is licensed as an assistant physician. And an assistant physician is a mid-level medical professional in the state of this case. And under this state's law, Medical school graduates who have not been accepted into a residency program, but they have passed step one and step two of the U.S. Medical Licensing Examination Board, may apply to become an assistant physician. This state law mandates that assistant physicians practice pursuant to a collaborative practice arrangement with a licensed physician. And of course, where is the licensed physician in this case? That's my question. There are incidentally no details on this matter in my review and leaves me open with many, many questions. Now, these two showcase pieces this month underscore the many, many COVID-19 related schemes and fraudulent lengths that folks go through to make a buck, keep a buck for as long as they can by finding all the loopholes, scurrying in the shadows, or driving around blatantly obvious in a red Maserati. So, I always believe these types of fraud, waste, and abuse cases are most helpful. Take a deeper look into these reports and see how they may affect you, your provider, your facility. Start self-auditing your service claims and coordinating documentation to ensure you are meeting compliance. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. A comparative billing report, a CBR, is going to be issued for initial preventive physical examinations or IPPEs and annual wellness visits, AWVs, later this month by CMS. It is CBR number 202102 or 2021-02. It's already the second CBR for the year to date. Now, the focus 
of the CBR is on rendering providers that submitted claims to Medicare Part B for IPPEs and AWVs using HICS-PICS codes G0402, G0438, and G0439, as well as evaluation and management services with our new patient CPT codes 99201 through 99205, as well as our established patient CPT codes with 99211 through 99215. Now, these are the providers who've been identified with vulnerabilities in their billing patterns, and they should be aware that the CBR contains an analysis of their billing practices across geographic areas, and they're supposed to serve as an educational tool for you for possible improvements in your billing, as well as ensuring compliance. Now, specifically, the vulnerability is quantified in the CBR, and it's according to the 2020 Medicare Fee-for-Service Supplemental Improper Payment Data Report that reflects a 29.5% improper payment rate for specifically HICS-PICS code G0439, which they calculate to be a possible improper overpayment totaling $192,677,982 to be specific. Now, it's critical to understand a CBR does not indicate you are going to get an audit. Although please be mindful that this phrase is coming directly from the MACs that are issuing the CBR. So take that with plenty of grains of salt. More directly, consider this CBR to be your notice, your warning, you are being looked at closely. But the value to providers is that it should serve as a tool to look at your billing patterns as compared to your peers. The value also includes the facts that specific coding guidelines and billing information will be detailed throughout the CBR. The CBR also informs providers whose billing patterns differ from those of their peers. Now, the desired behavior that CMS wants here is to capture proper and compliant documentation for the services. This means the documentation must support the proper use for IPPE and AWV codes, and therefore CMS guidance must be followed. So in the analysis and results portion of the CBR, it summarizes that 142,598 rendering providers across the country submitted claims for IPPE and AWV services. The date parameters or scope for these claims is from August 1st, 2019 through July 31st, 2020. Now, let's get into the rationale for why providers are going to be receiving this CBR. First, CMS will identify that you are significantly higher, quote unquote, significantly higher, compared to state or national averages or percentages in any of the metrics, like greater than or equal to the 90th percentile. Second, CMS will identify that you had at least eight beneficiaries with claims and at least $1,300 in total allowed charges for HICS-PICS codes G0402, or you had at least 13 beneficiaries with claims 
with the total of at least $2,000 in total allowed charges for HixPix code G0438, or you had at least 94 beneficiaries with claims with at least $10,000 in total amount of allowed charges for HixPix code G0439. Now remember, HixPix code G0402 is defined as initial preventive physical examination, face-to-face visit, services limited to new beneficiary during the first 12 months of Medicare enrollment. And HixPix code G0438 is defined as annual wellness visit and includes a personalized prevention plan of service, initial visit. While HixPix code G0439 is for annual wellness visit, includes a personalized prevention plan of service, subsequent visit. So the way they calculate their metric number one is for the percentage of IPPE or AWV services with an ENM or evaluation and management on the same date of service. Their metric number two is for the average allowed charge amount for all Medicare Part B services by the same provider on the same date of service per beneficiary. Remember, HixPix code G0438 has documentation that must be provided, that must be supported this laundry list of items that I'm going to list out. So remember, HixPix code G0438, which again is for that annual wellness visit, the initial annual wellness visit. So the laundry list of items that CMS must have in the documentation is that the physician must be taking the patient's history. You must be compiling a list of the patient's current providers. You must be taking patient's vital signs. You must include their height and weight. You must be reviewing the patient's risk factor for depression. Identify any cognitive impairments. You must be reviewing the patient's functional ability and level of safety based on any observations or screening questions you give. Uh, You must be setting up a written patient screening schedule. You must be compiling a list of risk factors. And you must be furnishing personalized health services and referrals as necessary, right? And then your HixPix code G0439. Again, that's for your that's for your annual wellness, your subsequent subsequent visit. Now, the documentation there must support this laundry list of items. Again, you must be updating the patient's medical and family history. You must be updating the current provider list. You must be obtaining um, an update on the vital signs and the weight identify any cognitive impairments. You must be updating the screening schedule. You must be updating the risk factors list and providing personalized health advice updated to the patient. And of course, your HixPix code G0402, that documentation for the initial preventive physical exam during the first 12 months of Medicare enrollment, that documentation also has to have a laundry list of items to support the billing of that code. So you must be taking a medical history on the patient, performing an exam, which includes a blood pressure check, height and weight assessment, and a vision screen. You must uh, discuss the medical history information provided by the patient 
as well as the results of the physical exam. You need to be documenting your orders or performing additional tests as medically necessary. You also provide preventive education and counseling services based on the patient's history and exam results. You'll also need to provide a written plan of care to the patient detailing any follow-up screening or preventive services that the patient should receive. Now, also notable here is that evaluation and management service, that ENM, that might be included in the allowed charges for the same date of service. So that's a risk factor, right? So you must self-audit. That's my recommendation. You should be self-auditing here. Internally audit for correct coding because that ENM along with the AWV and the IPPE, these procedures are mutually exclusive and a separate modifier is allowed. Of course, that's the modifier 25, and we know that's always on the OIG hit list, right? It's always in the OIG work plan for years and years. So you should be self-auditing. Is that ENM service you're reporting really something that's separate and distinct? And does the documentation warrant its use? Is it that ENM really separate and distinct from that initial physical examination code, right? or that annual wellness visit code. But by painting all these fine details of the medical necessity into the medical picture, a provider's documentation will support the code selection by its very definition. The medical necessity will be supported for a certified medical coder to then abstract codes with accuracy. Finally, in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from our great basketball star and phenom, Michael Jordan. You must expect great things of yourself before you can do them. Exactly, right? I always find so many of the world's best athletes have so much inspiration and dedication and commitment that we can all strive for. We all have the capacity to believe fully in ourselves, to know from within that we can do great things. We must believe in ourselves because no one else can do that for us. It is only with that self-belief that hard work, perseverance, and confidence can take us to the rim, so to speak. I am happy Michael Jordan's spark still shines on in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. Go out and do great things this week. Aim a little higher, do a little more, and give back in any way you can in 2021. There's so much each one of us can do. Remember to keep masking up, washing up, and staying physically distant. So, as always, I appreciate you diving into today with me. And if you would like to inquire about my consultant services, you can always reach me through my email address at nexonpruitt.com. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please continue staying safe and healthy, practice safety for one and all during our collective life in the time of coronavirus. Thank you for listening in on today's episode, and I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday. Thank you.